Well, hey, um, I'm so excited to sort of land the plane in our series that we've been in. Go ahead and throw that logo up there. When Hope Was Born. Uh, I love the spoken word because it really connected with where we've been. And so I want to read a passage that um, going to sort of sum up where we're going to be at today. It says Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise. Without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The title today is When Hope Ran. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege that we have to come to you. God, I thank you that you have a word for us that you want to speak to our hearts in this season. And Lord, it's going to be unique for every person, but at the end of the day, Jesus, it's you. And I thank you that your love has been recklessly pursuing us from day one. And I pray that we'd see that and our eyes would be open to your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, Advent has always been about people waiting in expectation for, for what God is going to do. And um, we talked last week about sort of that, that idea of what happens in the waiting. That, uh, that, that sometimes God orchestrates waiting moments for us to, to pause and, and reflect. And as I was sort of processing last week's message and preparing for this one, uh, I felt like the Lord whispered something unique to me. And he said, you know, Shane, that's true that Advent is about the waiting, that we're waiting in expectation for him. But I felt like the Lord said, but the opposite is also true, that, that, I'm, almost, uh, that I'm also waiting for you. That I'm, that I'm here waiting for you. And this is the spirit of Christmas. God has come and, and he's waiting for us waiting for us to respond to him. Now, I realize that that, for some of us, that's sort of a daunting idea, like God is waiting for me. Like, that's a little scary. What would he say, right? Like, it's kind of like going into the principal's office, right? Or, you know, like God's waiting for you. And, and I, I realized this at a young age because the very first time that, that I uh, was introduced to the idea of toilet papering was by my big brother when I was 14 years old. When I was 12 years old, he was 14, and he invited me with him to toilet paper the neighbor's house. Sounds like an amazing idea. So when you do that and you don't want to tell your parents, you got to be sneaky. And so what we did was said, Mom, Dad, we're going we're gonna to camp out in the backyard um, and because it was a nice summer night and that's what you do when you're kids. And like we had a friend over and so we're in the backyard and we're camping out in the backyard. Well, what they didn't know is we also had backpacks full of toilet paper because we were going to sneak out in the middle of the night and go have some fun. Well, we got way too much toilet paper. So we left like half of it in the tent, snuck out. It was brilliant. Did a phenomenal job toilet papering. My dad was, my brother was totally showing me the ropes. And we come back, it's about midnight. We come back to the house and we're hopping over the fence to get to our tent. And unfortunately, I was the first one. And I was up trying to like get over and my foot slipped. And it made a little bit of a noise. Unfortunately, the fence was right next to my parents' room. So you know that moment where you're like, oh shoot, I don't know if they heard. So we were like all like frozen, quiet, waiting, waiting. And all of a sudden, boop, their light goes on. I'm like, dang it. 
So we're like, go hide quick, right? So now we're jumping off the fence. We scramble under, there was like a, there was like a Winnebago parked next door. And it was like on the border of our house and the next house, right? And so full on Winnebago, old school, right? Anybody have a Winnebago parked next, next to your house? I, I feel like it was just sort of the thing back then. So and it was parked right there. And it was a perfect place to hide. So we snuck under the Winnebago. And of course, my dad's like, what's going on? Well, he knows that his kids are in the backyard. So he's like, I got to make sure they're okay. So he comes out of the house, wanders in, flashlight, exploring our tent, of which we're not there. He's, and, we, and he sees like these backpacks. It's like, what's going on? So he opens the backpacks. Of course, there's the toilet paper that we left all packed in the backpack. So he grabs the backpacks and he's like, I know what's going on. So he comes to the front yard, flashlight, and he's like, guys, I know you're out here. So I'm going to go in the house and I'll be waiting for you. And I was on my hands and knees under the Winnebago and it was that moment that your pastor got saved. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I need you in my heart right now. But it's this idea that, that God is waiting for us. And like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And if, if, if he did have something to say to me, what would he say? And so this is where the Christmas story culminates for me because I think that our picture of God ends here and it's the great picture and there's no, there's no better story in the Bible of God waiting than the iconic story of the father waiting for the prodigal son to come home. And if you're not familiar with the story, it's a, it's a profound story in the Bible that wasn't real. It's a parable that Jesus told. It's not a real story. Jesus was saying, this is like the kingdom. This is like my father. And let me tell you this story of what happened. And you know the story. The, the father was pacing back and forth on his porch, waiting for the son. And I think that sometimes for us, the Christmas story culminates in, in and ends in God is pacing back and forth and he's waiting for me on the porch. And well, what is he waiting to do? Well, he's waiting for you and me to clean up our act. That's what he's waiting for. And can you blame him? I mean, listen, I've got some goals in 2023 to be better. Anybody with me? Anybody look back on your life and go, ah, there's areas I can improve. There's some places where like I need to, I need to grow. There's some immaturities in my thought life and some things where it's like, I don't blame God for waiting for me to mature, to level up, to get better. And ultimately, this is, this is religion. And, and I'm here to sort of squash that idea because it's not who God is. But I think a lot of times in our mind, that is what we think God is waiting for. God's like, no, I'm good. You, you, you meet me here because I'm holy. So I need you to be more holy. And that's what I'm waiting for. And this is sort of the idea that we get in our mind. And so the prodigal, he had, he had that understanding. That's, that's what he thought. And so he's on his way back after prodigal living, after extravagant living, after crazy living, squandering his wealth, doing all that. You know the story. Ends up in the pig pen. And he's on his way back and he's got his speech. I have royally screwed up. I have made so many 
mistakes in my life and I am, am, I'm going to be better. I'm never going to toilet paper ever again. It was such a bad idea. And, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And so let me come and work it off. Let me work off the debt. I took all this inheritance from you and I'm willing to work it all. And so this is what the, pro, the prodigal son knew what the father was waiting for. He was waiting for the son to go, you know what? I own my part. I know how bad I was and I'm going to work it off so that you, then, then you'll accept me. Uh, I found this uh, picture because what happens next is so crazy. And, and, and it made me start thinking, and, and I found this picture. Um, but, but before you put it up there, um, I want to ask a simple question. Did he already put it up there? All right, go ahead and put it up there. Found this picture. So any runners in the house? Okay, let's go the opposite. Anybody just despise running? Okay, thank you. Just had a little, a little uh, interaction. So my, my wife... Heather, she loves to run. Uh, she actually has done uh, one marathon. She would do more, uh, but she's got uh, rods in her back from scoliosis. And so doctors have encouraged her, as have I, that running 26 miles on a regular basis is probably not the best idea. Nevertheless, I'm, she's bound and determined to run another one. But, um, you know, marathon's a long way. Any marathon runners? Anybody ever run a marathon? I've driven a marathon. I mean, like, it's so long. She signed up for this marathon, and I mean, we were there at the start. I took the kids to breakfast. I came back, watched her. I went to lunch, came back. She's still running. Like, so long. And, and I think she, she broke, you broke four, four hours? Okay. You almost, broke, you almost broke four hours. Four hours? That's a solid round of golf. Running the whole time. Well, in 2019, there was a group of people that got together and said, is it possible to break two hours running the marathon? And everyone said, no, it's impossible. Now, if you're really good and you're in the Olympics and you're going to break three hours and you're going to come close to that two hour, but like no one had even come close to breaking two hours running a marathon until um, 2019. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Elude Kipchuk um, is his name. And, uh, and he, in 2019, broke the two-hour barrier. Now, it, it doesn't count in a, in, in, in a real race because it wasn't a real race. And the reason for that is because the only way he was able to do it, he tried multiple times in a race and he didn't even come close. And so what he did, go to the next slide, is that they created a perfect environment for him to race. So uh, you see that green laser was literally a laser that was in front of him the entire time showing exactly on the pavement where to run, where there's no cracks, there's no bumps, there's no up incline. It was completely flat. And then he had runners that would take turns running in front of him as a wind barrier so that he could run. And then he had people, he didn't have to go off to get a drink. He had people coming to him. So he literally never left the green dot the entire time with people in front of him running. And because of that, in 2019, he was able to break two hours in a 26 mile marathon. Absolutely incredible. And I, and I just thought like, like, what a great picture of us.
Like we have an, an unattainable goal. We have a huge chasm. Like we've screwed up, screwed up so royally. And to get to a place that we want to be, where we feel loved, where we feel worthy, where we feel accepted, like that's so far beyond what we could do on our own. So what do we do? Well, we, we position things around us to like break the wind right? We like put people and things in our place and we even like put religion there and, and we try to create an environment on our own that we can make it, that we can do it. And the prodigal son was no different. He was coming to the father and he's like, dude, I, there's no way he's going to accept me, but I'm going to do my best. So I'm going to write out the best speech that I've got. And I'm going to say, you know what, father, I'll work it off. I'm going to do it. I know it's impossible, but I'm going to do it. And I think that if we're honest, like so many of us think that if we could just create the scenario, what scenario in your life is winning? I just need, I just need a few more pieces to come into line in my life. And in 2013, man, I'm hoping and I'm praying, I'm even asking God if he would put a couple of pieces together in my life. And in that scenario, I'm going to win. I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to feel empty on the inside. I'm not going to feel incomplete. I'm not going to feel, feel unworthy because I'm going I'm to make it happen. I haven't been able to do it up to this point, but I know that I can do it. And so this is, this is oftentimes how we approach the new year. The prodigal son, he had a plan, but he knew the plan wasn't going to work. But what happened next, he never expected. And it happens in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It says this, And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. Come on, the father was, he was pacing. He was looking. Where's my son? But he wasn't waiting to see if the son was going to come and jump through all the hoops. Like as soon as he saw the son, he ran. Now in this day, I mean, he had to hike up his skirt and he would run. And, and, and you know the story, like it's, it's, it's a very shameful thing in that day for a father to Run and, and most of us have heard this story before and we kind of get that and like, okay, he ran because he was excited. I'm here to tell you that there's, it's, there's more to it than that. The reason the father ran is so profound. And I did a little bit of digging. So what, the, I don't know what vision you have of the prodigal son story, but the vision that I always had was that, you know, the father had like, like a big house with a big, a big um, wraparound deck and then there was like a big field, right? And maybe a long dirt driveway, right? Because so, it says he saw him a long way off, right? So he's like walking on his wraparound porch and he's looking, right? He's got some land and he's looking for the, father, for the son to sort of come out amongst, right? Is anybody with me? Are you there? That's not it at all. I, I liked my picture, but it's not it. Because in Jesus' day, people lived in small villages. 
and, 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 and communities. And there was, a, there was a gate to the city that you came in. And if you were wealthy, you would have a house that could, that, that, that was sort of, you would be able to see the gate. But it was a small village. And, and if, if, if the, the son was going to get to the father, he wasn't coming through a big wide open field. He was walking through the village. A small village of maybe 50 people. Maybe 20 families coming into the village. And I discovered something called Keza. And um, Keza is a ceremony according to the Jewish law. If a son disrespected their family and deserted their community and that son wanted to come home, they would face Keza at the city gate. Ceremony would be led by the elders of the city, but the dad wasn't allowed to attend. The mom could come and plead the case for the son, but if a son was to leave his community and especially interact with Gentiles, because again, this is a Jewish community, and Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish crowd. So if a son were to leave his Jewish community and interact with Gentiles, people that were unclean, we know that because where did the, where did the son find himself? In the pig pen. What did Jews not interact with? Pigs. So he was in a far-off land with undesirables. Paint at whatever you want, right? Hanging out with a gang, doing things he shouldn't be doing, right? And he's coming home, and in order to come home, he had to face the ceremony of Keza. And that was the, by the elders of the community. The father stays in the house. The mother comes and says, oh, my baby boy, he didn't mean it. And the elders then are going to decide. Was what, his, what the son did, did truly disrespecting the family, and our village. The reason why the father couldn't come is because the father's blessing trumped community decisions. So the father didn't come. And if the elders decided in that moment that the son was, was wrong and that this was to the degree where, where he was no longer accepted, they would take a clay pot and they would throw it at the feet of the son and they would say keza, which meant cut off forever. And the son would have to leave. And so this is the backdrop that we see the father pacing the wraparound porch, waiting for his son. And in a village like that, word would begin to spread the son's on the way home. We've heard that the son is on his way home. It would take days and days, maybe a week for the son, wherever he was in a distant land to get home. And so he would begin to journey. And so the rumor mill would start to spread amongst this small little community of probably about the size of our church. The son's coming home and the father would hear it and he would know. It's just a matter of days before I'm going to see my son and only a matter of days until Keza. And so for the moment, that moment when the father saw the son, he took off running because he knew that this was his only chance to get to the city gate before his son got there. 
And so you know the story. The father was like, I don't care how disrespected or I don't care how unnoble this is. I'm going to run to the city gate. I'm going to find my son and I'm going to grab him. And I'm going to say, I love you. See, there's nothing that the son could have done to convince the elders because what he did was despicable and they would have cast him out. But instead, the father wraps his arms around his son. And what does he do? He puts a robe around him, a robe of righteousness. And then he put a ring of sonship on his finger and then sandals on his feet. And then he put his arm around his son and he began to walk him up the road through the city as the elders were gathering, preparing for this ceremony. And the father's like, no, because they saw that he was wearing the robe, the father's robe and the father's ring. And so he's walking him all the way. Eventually they would get to the house where they threw a party. The son deserved Keza. Instead, he got a robe and a ring and sandals on his feet and a party. Man, Shane, I don't know. Um, doesn't seem right. Like it doesn't seem, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a prodigal son or daughter. You certainly had a son or daughter do something that's not right. And I promise you that your response wasn't to throw their, a, a best, your best robe around them and give them a nice shiny ring and say, you're amazing. Why? Because there's consequences to sin. There's consequences to our behaviors. And you and me, we're all trying to teach our kids that. No, there's consequences to our choices. And so the audience listening to Jesus would have said, this makes absolute no sense as you're explaining the gospel, as you're explaining the way things are. Shane, somebody's got to pay the debt. So we fast forward, don't we? To Good Friday. On this special Christmas day, let's fast forward to Good Friday. And we see Jesus led outside the city gate by the city elders, put up on that cross as they threw the clay pot down at the foot of the cross and they said, cut off forever. Jesus got Keza. And you and me, we got grace. Jesus paid the whole thing. I'm going to invite Adam to come up as we close. I'm just going to bring this home. So on this special Christmas, we recognize today that when you and me were a long way off, Jesus left heaven 
and he ran, didn't he? We read it in Ephesians that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, cut off. So this can be a story or it can be reality. But you and me, we were cut off forever from the citizenship from Israel without hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the Father, he left heaven and he ran to the city gate there in a little town called Bethlehem. And he met you and me right before Keza. Oh, you had your speech ready. I've been doing my best. And some of us today feel like I've been doing my best. And it's not enough. I'm not enough. And I want to tell you today that if that's how you feel, you're not alone. I don't care how long you've been coming to church. I don't care how much of the Bible you know or don't know, or maybe this is your first time and you don't know anything. We are all there. We, we're coming to the gate and we're like, man, I'm trying my best, but, and I've got a plan to, to make my life better and to fix the stuff I've done, but I know it's not enough. And the Father, um, the Father knows it's not enough too. And I love the scripture because it says the Father saw him. So we know why the Father was so intent on seeing the Son because, because the Father had one chance to get there. And, and it says, before he ran, it says, and he had compassion on him. And I just like want to set that as a blanket right here that God, he... He has so much compassion because this world is broken and he sees you as his son and daughter navigating the brokenness of life that is not cut and dry. That there is, even the gospel, it's not, it's not so simple. Life is complex. Your life is complex. And Jesus has compassion. But he knew that this wasn't enough. He knew that your efforts weren't enough. And so that's why he had to run. And when he got to you, he wrapped you in his coat. And the Bible says that we are clothed in a robe of righteousness that he puts his ring on our finger, which means son and daughter. It means it was, a, it was like a family signet that ring that, that you would say, this is, I have the authority of Christ, that I am in the household of God. I am no longer a foreigner cut off, that I am a part of the family and sandals on his feet. And so then the beautiful thing is that we walk with God 
through our lives and the accusers, they say, "Who? what are you doing? He, he deserves Keza. She, she deserves Keza. What are you doing? And most of the time, the accuser's right here. Like, I don't, I don't feel worthy of all of this. I don't feel good enough for all this. And the truth is, you're not, but you are clothed in the robe of righteousness in Jesus. And so we walk through this town and we say, no, I, I am, I'm not worthy, actually. I, man, I'm a mess. My life's a mess. But see, my father, he saw me and he had compassion on me. And then he ran and he found me at the gate. And he said, I've already paid for it. I didn't just say, it's no, it's fine. There's no consequences. No, I, I actually paid the highest price for all that you would do. And so now you can walk with your head held high as a son and daughter, fully accepted and loved. So when, when the voice of the accuser comes and says, you're not worthy, that's when we get to say, yeah, but the father's blessing trumps Keza. He didn't stay in the house. He came. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, as we close, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. May, may this Christmas and the idea of the baby in the manger represent something more than a tradition today. As we pass the story on to our kids, may we connect the dots that on that special day, he met us at the gate and gave us something that we didn't deserve. But now because of it, we are worthy. Will you bow your heads today in the quietness of this moment? I don't wanna let another service this year pass by without giving an opportunity. With no one looking around, just in the simplest moment, if you're here today and you say, wow, I, I knew the stories and I believe in God, but I didn't quite understand that somebody needed to pay the price for me. I don't know if I've even really accepted that sacrifice. I recognize now the Father's love for me, that he, he loves me, and that I can be his son and daughter. The Bible says clearly if we just simply confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. We're saved. That we get the Father's blessing and not Keza. That's you today. I'd just like to welcome you to pray this prayer. I'm just gonna invite all of us to pray this prayer and that way if you're gonna pray it, you feel like there's, a, there's an army with you. But if you pray this prayer and meet it in your heart, then we believe that you're right before God. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need you. I recognize today that you left heaven and met me at the gate. You paid the ultimate sacrifice so that I might be whole. Come into my heart. 
I make you Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, this is the greatest day of your life. Can we just celebrate? We're so glad you came to join us today. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a mess up here. But thank you all for being a part of Heart Church in 2022. It has been an incredible, incredible journey. And we can't wait for the things that God has in store for us in 2023. Uh, please hope that each of you has an amazing next two weeks with your friends, with your family. God bless you.